Welcome to the Sports Analytics Podcast, your source of information you can use along your journey in the world of sports analytics. Through interviews with experts and thought leaders, we'll uncover how data science, artificial intelligence, and analysis tools are being used for competitive advantage in sports. We'll also explore industry trends and career opportunities. So now, hold on to your data, folks, because this program is ready to launch. It will take the computer a few moments to compile the information. Here is your host, Terry Frederick. I know, I know. You're probably asking, hey, Terry, what's up with the long show? They're usually only 30 minutes. This one's 50 minutes plus. Well, settle in, folks. Get ready, because my guest today is going to drop some huge value bombs on how to break analytics down into some simple math that has proven to win basketball games. I'm pretty pumped for the show. All right, here we go. And here we go for another sports analytics great topic. Today, we're going to explore how some simple math can help basketball coaches win more games. And we're going to do that with my very special guest today, who knows a little something about winning basketball. He played in the NBA in the 1980s for the Lakers, Pacers, Knicks, and Sixers. As the head coach of the 1999-2000 Toronto Raptors, he led them to their first winning season and playoff appearance. Here's a little trivia about my guest. He also had much success at the high school level as a coach. He was the only person to be named both player and coach of the year in the state of Ohio. Please welcome to the show today my very special guest, current owner and CEO of Analytics for Coaches, Butch Carter. Butch, thanks for coming on the show today. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for that very kind introduction. Fantastic. Glad to have you here today. I'm really excited to talk to you about what you're doing in an analytics space and coming up with some ways to help more coaches win games and uh, more, more basketball games. So I'll just give you a couple of minutes to uh, tell our listeners maybe a little more about you that I didn't go over and maybe an introduction for uh, what you're doing with analytics for coaches. Well, I mean, I left uh, basketball and uh, after the 2000 season, um, I pretty much stayed away from basketball. I don't think I watched any basketball games. Uh, I grew up in the uh, Middletown, Ohio, outside of Cincinnati, but I stayed in Canada after I left coaching. Um, coaching is a can be a very moving experience. Uh, all coaches are very compassionate about the game of basketball. Um, I always wanted to coach from the time that I went to college at Indy University. Uh, I've got all my notes from every practice that I've been in. Um, so the way things so Bob up, Knight, right? Bobby Knight. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So the thing that the way things set up for me was that when I got drafted by the Lakers and went through my first training camps with the Lakers, it was clear to me that the training that I received at Indiana was solely focused on winning and college. It did not prepare me for the NBA. At Indiana, you you caught the basketball, you looked, you had to wait for the screener, the timing of, of the guy coming off the screen. And the NBA is pretty much catch and go. 
more transition, um, a higher level, higher skill level. Um, the Lakers that I got drafted into had just won the championship at beating the Sixers in Magic's rookie year. It was uh, a staggering experience. As the oldest of seven kids, I felt a lot of urgency to have to make the team so I could send money home to help my mom with my brothers and sisters. So for me, at that time, uh, at Indiana, we didn't have plays. Played motion, triangle, four, four inside, um, and we get a playbook with 50 plays in it. And I think the first time that, that Analytica had to look at something, Norm Nixon, who was a teammate of mine, we had the same agent, took a piece of paper and drew a basketball half court on it and then gave me five coins, and he would call out the plays, and I had to move all the coins. And so, <laughs> uh, and if I didn't, then I had to pay him $5 every time I got a play wrong. And so I learned to get the plays right pretty quick. And, but it taught me that it was about how players consume information and not how coaches give the information. Uh, in the day's world, you see coaches running out there and there's, they think it's so important to grab as much information as possible. And I do understand that as a, as a, if you're learning as to build your library as a counter to someone you may have to play, but coaches go into coaching and don't understand that there are some simple things that uh, I created in my model in 1998, the summer of 1998. The number one rule analytically for all coaches is that half your games are lost. Every night, it's a zero-sum business. There's one winner and one loser. And it becomes very distinctive once you get into your conference games. At every level, high school, if you guys play 100 conference games, 50 are going to be won, 50 are going to be lost. Same thing in college, any co college it may be. It could be the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Southeast Conference. Once you get into conference play, half of those games are going to be lost and half of those games are going to be won. And coaches, because they've been emotionally driven and they do not understand that the sheer fact of that there is an empirical number. In the NBA, that number is 1,230. And I was able to determine that number as a rookie coach uh with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, David Stern at the coaches meeting at the pre-draft uh, told us that they had all this information, the NBA had all this information on computers, and they really didn't know what to do with it. And that was the lockout year. And it's, the way the story goes is that I got my kids off to school that year in late August, and I took off to meet a guy named Mike Ellis. And Mike Ellis was a brilliant mathematician, worked for a company called Syscom. He didn't know anything about basketball, but he was brilliant in math. And so my experience was that I believe that I'm a winner. I've always been a winner. High school, I think I only lost five games in three years. I go to college at Indiana. They had just won the national championship. We went through some turmoil, but at the, by the time I left, we won the Big Ten championship, playing the NCAA tournament. I go to the Lakers. We have an awesome year, even though Magic Johnson tears his knee up that year. <clears throat> and then I get traded to the Pacers. And there are certain distinctive things that go with losing teams at any level. <clears throat> and so I learned with the three years I played with the Pacers and the five and a half years I was an assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks in the early 90s, exactly what you don't have to do with if you're on a losing team in the NBA. And so the first, it goes back to the first 
the empirical number is half the games are lost. <clears throat> so if you drive a model off of half the games are lost, coaches would come up to a life a lot better life experience in what their coaching career is going to be. Because there's nothing wrong with taking a bad job. You just have to accept, as I did in 1998, that I was going to be coaching against 11 Hall of Fame coaches. And that did not include uh, Mike Dunleavy. It didn't include him. Paul Westfall was in Seattle. Dunleavy was in Portland. Um, Van Gundy with the Knicks. But at that time, the NBA was really full of really good coaches. Uh, Pat Riley, Patino, uh, Larry oh, yeah. Brown, mm -hmm. uh, Pop Popovich, <clears throat> um, Don Nelson in Dallas, Rudy T in Houston, uh, Phil was in was in L.A. Jerry Sloan was in Utah, and my model worked so well in its application that that ninety nine two thousand team broke a fifty four year old NBA record, where we took a team from less than twenty wins in eighteen months to the playoffs. No team since then has ever done that in 18 months. Um, and we did it. Wow. And it was based off the model that Mike Ellis and I built. Did, did you feel a little overwhelmed when you went up each night against a, a possible Hall of Fame coach? <laughs> I, I, I felt overwhelmed when they first got the job and I realized who I was going to be coaching against, right? And then I went to work. And then I went to work. I mean, the, the issue is that no one will ever tell you that, the, that you'll run into a Carter that is not competitive. And the reality is that uh, it was an expansion job when I took it, but my goal was to make it into a one mean uh, fighting machine. And the way you, the way that I decided to do that was I'm a big believer in that you draft the best talent um, and then you modify that talent through player development and you coordinate with the players and make them understand here are the things we need to do every night um, to win basketball games. And the number two thing, and this is, is an analytic that was created based off of trying to find out why the Utah Jazz were winning so many games in the West with all those very talented coaches. But the number two analytic is you must win the first and third quarter. And, but the way to do it is not based off of what I say. It's that we created a modification to our practice plan to teach the players the responsibility. So the starter's goal was to win the first quarter. So regardless of who was starting, that was still your goal to win the first quarter. But in today's NBA, um, if you win the first and third quarter, you win 80% of your games in regular season, and you win 85% of games or higher in the playoffs. If you go back, If you go back to the last NBA championship series that we saw, the modification of the Toronto Raptors over uh, Golden State was directly related to uh, Toronto dominating the first and third quarter. It was only in game two that Golden State um, at Toronto came out and went on a scoring run. I think it was 18 to three. Um, and Nick Nurse did a poor job. And Nick Nurse is a really good coach. But in that one quarter in that playoff series, um, he sat on the bench and let him go on a run and didn't call timeouts. But yeah. the number two analytic is win the first and third quarter. But what we teach coaches is how you redesign your practice plan so you consistently do that. But there's a direct correlation between winning the first and third quarter and the three officials leaving you alone. And I think for clarity, 
the difference in what I do analytically is that I don't disagree that Kim Palm, his numbers are what they are. Kim Palm does a calculation off of an event in a game. That calculation is true for that event. But for coaches, those calculations don't work because you are responsible in modifying the group at one time. You are not responsible for, you know, points per, per possession. But if you are going to calculate points per possession, it has to go off the number one rule is where does the points per possession fall in the empirical number of losses in your conference? Without using the empirical number that's in every conference, all right, a coach, a coach is destined to doom. And we see that every year where you see a coach in a conference, college conference, that he loses to the top two or three teams every year for a three or four year window. And normally the athletic director decides to make a change. But when we, when I put this model together, there were things that were absolutely, if you did these things as a coaching staff, our chances of improving, as an example, in the, in the, in those years I was head coach, we had 57 leads after the third quarter and we won 52 of those games. So we found there was a direct correlation, especially if you won the first and third quarter. The, in, in our opinion, the officials deem you to be a professional organization. You handle your business and they leave you alone. And since that stat, I created that stat in which Utah dominated back uh, in 99-2000. San Antonio Spurs have been the team after that. And then the Golden State Warriors. And last year, the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. So, Butch, are you seeing, you know, I know uh, what you're offering with uh, analytics for coaches. And we'll get into that a little bit later, exactly what that is. Are you seeing that correlation translate into the high school game? Of course, where they play four quarters. Now, the the men's college game, they're still playing the 20-minute has, but the women's game has moved on to the four quarters. Are you seeing that correlation down to those levels as well? Well, you're not seeing the correlation because uh, no one has trained the coaches to understand the importance of it. Okay, okay. All right, so once – so this came about five years ago. The NBA, uh, Rory Sparrow, who played at Villanova, called me and said, hey, get off the couch. I need you to come <laughs> help, me, help me run the, uh, the uh, assistant coaches program in the NBA. So uh, my company, Analytics for Sports, uh, manages the assistant coaches program for the NBA. And we, we changed the program from being a, pl- a former player who wanted to learn how to coach uh, from a player development standpoint, where now we teach them all of your software. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that the problem with high school coaches is that they never actually got to use and how to maximize the software. So that mm-hmm. software now would either be crossover or huddle. Yep, which is and more prevalent, more and more prevalent at, at that level now. Yep. Right. So at that level, we train them on, look, what they're doing is a data dump. You need an organized data dump. I started out as a high school coach. Your high school coaches have a very limited time available for them to prepare Mm -hmm. for practice, right? So uh, when I go through the the empirical formula, you know, it's, you know, half the games are lost, win the first and third quarter. The third one is scoring runs, right? Mm -hmm. The fourth one is an absolute, all right? If you do not get back on defense and get matched up, 
the officials will let you lose every game. The officials will not intercede in a, into a game where a team does not get back on defense at every level. So if you know that, the number one thing I want back from Huddle, all right, is I want my video sent back to me in a framework in which I can absorb what we're doing wrong first based on the empirical formula. And now I can roll that into a corrective action in the drills in my practice plan. Right? What we're seeing is young coaches run to clinic after clinic, Zoom, podcasts, and it's all, okay, we're going to do this offensively. Here's another way of doing offensively. And for me, what I did was that I took the top four teams in the East and the top four teams in the West, and I benchmarked my Toronto Raptors team against those eight teams. Because success, the best chance of success in the NBA is to drive your numbers against and benchmark them against those t- because you want home court advantage in the playoffs. Because we all know, the good coaches know that you're going to get some slippage. So if I benchmark off one, two, three, four, and we slip, we ended up in the first year where I thought we did. We, I thought we'd end up six or seven. And we ended up seven. So the correlation down the high school is directly related to them changing. The biggest problem for all coaches is that they're still practicing like 30 or 40 years ago. You're going to have coaches say, well, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't need you to be comfortable. If you won't accept that half your games are lost, you're going to be uncomfortable when they let you go. <laughs> That's for sure. Right. But so what guys- I really, yeah, what I really find, uh, I think, useful, you know, uh, you know, the NBA, we know, oh, my goodness, it's massive and massive amounts of data. But I think where the, the simplicity of uh, an empirical approach that you're taking to kind of simplify this a little bit for the high school and the college level, and I'm talking more the, the lower level college level, D3 and smaller D1 programs and D2, who don't have the resources and the staff, but they could get overwhelmed with you know what Synergy gives you and what Huddle gives you and what Crossover gives you. Uh, I really like this simple approach. Well, so we we do a lot of evaluations for college coaches on, as an example, we have a module, a class called uh, Timeout Solutions. So what we find with with coaches is that, and coaches do sometimes do a bad job because they don't know the history of something. So Mm -hmm. Timeout Solutions, um, we organized our timeouts when I was head coach of the Toronto Raptors, we were 17 points a game better than the opponents every night on after timeout plays and side out of bounds. And the reason was, is that there's, I would never did a coaching huddle. Uh, I was the underdog. I was the, t- the team uh, that was assumed to be inferior. So why was I going to act like I was a number one or number two team in the league? Those coaches have more talent, have been better organized, more experience. But uh, Digger Phelps bought the coaching huddle into college basketball and college basketball TV. And it's uh, we use an acronym. We, we call it a Tom Brady. So the worst thing that's happened to young coaches is that they're down 10 points and they're doing a Tom Brady during a timeout. 
where a timeout period should be, we teach them how to organize the timeout so that it's a go period and not a slow period. So uh, the biggest problem that a coach has to overcome is, look, you can't practice like you played 30 years ago. And and if you say you want to be mathematically smarter, all right, we break the thing down into simple math. Going through our timeout solutions, I'll get you six, seven, eight, nine points a game more. Most coaches don't even understand in a timeout, analytically, there are two sides of the timeout. There's the offensive side of the timeout and the defensive side of the timeout. Or then they'll make the big mistake. They'll come out of timeout and run a regular play. So instead of taking advantage of that, the, that good assistant coach, that scouted you and he knows every call you have over a two or three year period, you come out of timeout and go right into his sweet spot. So it's, we teach them, don't be disrespectful. The number one thing that I haven't mentioned and I need to, is that in my model, my model has always had five X's, five defensive players, five O's, five offensive players, the three officials and two coaches. Every night, you should plan on defeating the best teams in your conference and through practice. And to do that, you're going to have to, those best teams are going to have outstanding assistant coaches that want to be head coaches. They are going to map what you do and how you do it. So when you stand up and call a play, you are actually opening a window for him to call to his team what actions you are going to be running. Mm-hmm. Analytics for coaches shows you through classes how to be great in timeout solutions. Uh, these are timeout situations, and we give you the solution to it. And then the number three thing is that timeouts are directed off two things. In high school, they're more directed off scoring runs. In college, they're directed off uh, off TV timeouts. We see coaches historically that. Let, let some assistant convince him, wait for the TV timeout. If you know that your team cannot come back from a 10-0 run or a 12-0 run in practice, what makes you think they're going to come back from that in the game? And why do you let it go anywhere near that? So there's a module called Running Score, a course that we running score, where we teach you. In 1987, I was at a clinic with Dean Smith. And Dean Smith and that clinic taught me running score. So we teach you how mentally, how to mentally discipline yourself to understand that the scoreboard is not the score that you need to pay attention to. It's the running score that goes on inside the scoreboard. And coaches fail to recognize these scoring runs early. And when you're playing good teams, they go on numerous scoring runs. And I became very good at using my timeouts, the slow scoring runs. And these classes actually teach. We've got a, a great mod, a module for, uh, for high school coaches. Uh, right now it's $70. They get timeout solutions. They get uh, a huddle. They get a, a, a calendar. We show them how to lay out their annual calendar where – after the season, I don't want them going and trying to get new information. I want them to go and, and dissect, and we show them how to dissect uh, their top opponents 
so that they can, in the player development in the summer and spring with their players, coaches make the mistake of not cleaning up old problems when they go when they go forward after the season. And then, again, you get that reiteration where over and over again the same coaches is, be- is beating them mm-hmm. because they didn't solve it. And so for me, uh, I did this uh, when I was a high school coach. It took us two years, and we were really good. We were really good. Um, a little story about that is uh, Middletown, Ohio is, is uh, 35, 40 minutes from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, but to come out of that district or sectional, you need to be able to beat the good Catholic schools. And my first year, I used to stand up, want to call every play. We ran UCLA high post. And after the season, when I'm looking at all that old film, I was so mad because the Catholic schools in Cincinnati were torching me with flex and back pick down screen back. Pick. Mm-hmm. I put flex in, in the summer for my team to run so that they could understand it. And the analytics that we do, the most important thing I could tell your audience is that our math is transferable to the coaching staff and to the team. We're not going to be talking above you. We're going to talk to you so that you understand by making these changes in your practice plans and giving you a system of how huddle, how you want the huddle video to come back to you, it will maximize their time. And when you maximize a coach's time, you greatly enhance his chance to win basketball. Okay, time for a short break. But before we do, here's a question for you. Who has the best pop time in the NBA? In the new NBA, offenses are mostly designed to get points at the rim or catch-and-shoot threes. Intermediate range two-pointers, not so much. For catch-and-shoot threes, a key stat has emerged for shooters. Pop time. In baseball, it's the time the ball hits the catcher's glove to the time it hits the fielder's glove on steal attempts. Hall of Famer Pudge Rodriguez, best of all time for catchers. In basketball, pop time is the time a pass hits a shooter's hands and the shot gets released. How fast a shooter can get their shot off becomes a major factor on how open a shooter really is. So, who has the best pop time? for catch-and-shoot threes in the NBA. Find out after the break. I hope you are enjoying the show. You know, when I first talked to Coach Carter, he really got my attention when he talked about a constant empirical number that was the basis for his model for winning basketball games. I mean, as an engineer, I tend to like numbers. You win half the games you play, and you lose half the games you play. Sounds simple enough. In the show so far, Coach Carter has laid out the key things a coach needs to do to win more basketball games, based on that number. What I really like is that it works at all levels, high school, college, pro, the men's or women's games. With analytics for coaches, you learn to structure basketball software. You will learn how to use in-game analytics that you've never used before, how to turn timeouts into competitive advantage, Plan more effective practices and stimulate you as a coach to keep track of in-game metrics that equate to winning more games. And for me, here's the best part. Coach Carter has made the cost of these courses extremely affordable. And when you sign up for Analytics for Coaches courses, you get direct access to speak with Coach Carter for any questions you might have. I can't think of a better time to invest in yourself to become a better winning coach than now. 
Go to analyticsforcoaches.com to learn more and sign up. All right, my question before the break was, who has the best pop time in the NBA? It's Kyle Korver who gets his shot off on average at .68 seconds. Amazing, given he makes them at a rate of 52.1%. This data is from a study done in the book, Sprawl Ball, by Kirk Goldsberry for seasons 2013 through 2017. Now, what about Steph Curry, you might ask? His pop time? Well, Steph was good, not slow, but not in the top 10. His pop time was 0.75. Now, Clay Thompson was second behind Korver at 0.726. Forget catch and shoot with these guys. It's catch and gone. Okay, back to my discussion with Coach Carter of Analytics for Coaches. Hey, just a reminder before we get back to the show. On previous shows, you heard me mention that this health crisis has caused a, a big problem for our families and kids, and that's food insecurity. Hey, just a quick reminder, if you can, try to donate to a food bank in your area. A great place to start is feedingamerica.org. So if you can, Please try to help out a family in need. Feedingamerica.org. Thanks. All right, back to the show. So you have like a standard, uh, I mean, you're teaching people and coaches kind of like the standard package that you want to pull from the huddles and the synergy tools. That's that's correct. When our college coaches, uh, an example, we showed a college coach, he was head coach at seven years uh, in a Power Five conference that the synergy information on his percentage of time uh, after timeout plays field goal percentage was actually 25%. And then synergy had said it was 43 because synergy pulls the bad teams with the good, the good teams. If you learn to beat the good teams, you'll pretty much automatically beat the bad teams because you're going to be consistent about your approach and your players are going to be consistent about the culture that you put in. And you won't have to worry about the bad teams. But um, he was shocked because the reality was if he could have known if someone would have told him, he probably would not have lost his job. But when we benchmarked him against the top four teams in that Power Five conference, that he was shooting 25% on after timeout plays. That's a lot of timeouts. That's a lot of wasted possessions. Mm-hmm. So, so as these packages are are – taught and then created by the coaches. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how to more effectively and efficiently, especially with programs that don't have the resources to communicate that information to the players? Well, we, we, we lay that out because, um, so I'm big on, on uh, factual communication with the players and um, the players need to know my players knew, that it was important to win the first quarter and we were going to practice a certain way to give us the best chance. And that's where you reinforced right? it, in practice. In practice, every single day. And then twice a week uh, to win the third quarter, all right, you definitely have to change your practice because you got to practice halftime. The coaches uh-huh. go – how many coaches, you, they never practice halftime. But then the co- in the coaches meeting, they're going to say, well, you know, we came out flat in the third quarter. It's your responsibility. It was your fault. 
the players so you always practice. Be- you don't practice the halftime, but magically in the game, you're expecting the team to do something you've never done. That's correct. <laughs> okay, interesting. That's correct. You're asking. I, I honestly never part. heard that about practicing the halftime. That is very, very interesting. Yes. Yeah, you you have to you have to change. Like I said, we we train coaches to make modifications in their practice plan. We try to get teach a coach that this is how the game comes to the players. All right, and your stubbornness, all right, is leaving you open to lose games. Yes. Interesting. Right? You're stubborn. It's, it's, it's like, okay, the timeout's 60 seconds. All right? Why are you behind eight points and you're spending 40 seconds standing out talking to the coaches? Oh, you've yes. Been, <laughs> you've, been with them, you've been with them all week. You see it all the time on TV. I, I can't tell you, you know, I watch enough Big Ten basketball and like the timeout, and then there's, uh, I don't know, how many coaches are on a college staff now? Nine coaches standing out. You know, on the foul line, having a conversation. Yeah, we can we can show you, and in, in the classes there are video where we've imposed a 60-second clock, and you can watch from the Big East. Uh, the worst one is a team in the Southeast Conference. I mean, it looks like an anthill. And, <laughs> right? and, yeah. and, then, and then when they come out, it looks like every assistant and even the managers are talking to the players. Yeah. So, right. So we give you good examples. We give you bad examples. But the reality is that, and, and this is what life is in business, anything else. If you're behind to catch the best or even to get closer to them, you got to get up earlier, work harder and smarter. Mm-hmm. And all we did was reorganize our practices. All right. With very smart players. All right. And you go back and look at my 99-2000 roster, I had older guys, all right, Charles Oakley, Kevin Willis, uh, Antonio Davis, uh, Del Curry, Muggsy Bogues, and I couldn't over-practice them. And then I had younger players that I couldn't over-practice either. Tracy McGrady was about 190 pounds, six foot eight and a half, dripping wet. Uh, <laughs> Vince Carter was fresh off the campus, all right. Alvin Williams, who played at Villanova, was with us. So I had I had some very good young players, but I was in a situation that I couldn't go in and do three hour practices. Mm-hmm. All right. So once we said, okay, here's the empirical formula, this formula has been consistent for the last 20 years. How do I modify my practices? And so that's what we teach coaches is that you're gonna to have to modify your practice to come from behind. But in a college season, they play 35 games. All right. You know, there locally, how many times do you think the best one would be Villanova and the rest of the five schools that are around there? How many times do you think they practice halftime? And coaches then don't take the responsibility of the failure of the kids coming out for the second half in college basketball. And we say, we say one of the biggest jumps you can make is to win those first 10 minutes coming out at halftime. Uh-huh. Because the quarters just just translate to to the ten minute mark in with halves. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. But you're asking them to do something that they're not trained for, right? So, I mean, there are there are different segments of the military because they're trained for different segments. There are different segments of a basketball game that require different training 
want to approach to win. But every coach can do this. This is real simple math. There are eight teams in the conference. We played 10 games. There's 80 games. My empirical number is 40. Those, that's an, all the number yeah. of games. Yeah. Right? Amongst those eight teams, there's going to be 40 wins and 40 losses. So we don't tell coaches what offense to run or what defense to run. We say, take the empirical formula. You must get back in defense. If not, the officials will let you lose every single game. They seem to be able to understand that. And if you modify your practices and get the players to understand how important it is. So, see, I never ran into a situation where someone else was starting one night and they didn't know what they had to do. It wasn't they got more shots. We had to win the first quarter as a unit. That's what we lived That was their job. Right. So So, summarize for me again, like those four, those top four, because I think it's really important to to hit that home here uh, before we kind of wrap up. Yeah, number one is, uh, it's called a constant number. I call it, my acronym for it is, I call it an empirical number, all right? In, in math, it's called a constant number. The constant empirical number are the number of games won and lost in mm-hmm. a season in conference, all right? The number two is win the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And we did it by, we learned to win the first quarter and then we started practicing the third quarter because once we changed the culture and they understood the importance of winning the first quarter, and then we, we started practicing how to win the third quarter. And that included practicing the halftime. Always. Always. We gave them three minutes to warm up. We went inside, did the whiteboard, three minutes to warm up, and then they're out on the court um, uh-huh. and they scrimmage and – and there's always some value associated with winning a scrimmage. Yep. All right. And third right, one. The third, the third one is scoring runs. Stop the run. Stop the runs or generate runs. And practice that. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Understanding it. Again, you're up. You're up seven points. You need a good open shot. You don't need a three. You need yeah, you, yeah you need to get fouled and get get a point off the foul right, line and stop right. the run. Right. You so, but again, high school coaches have done a poor job understanding what has happened. What's the big change in high school? And it's AAU. Mm. So now I'm getting, and I realized that because I was out watching AAU games when I became a high school coach. So I said the first thing I got to teach my guys is how to count. The biggest deficiency in a young players playing AAU basketball, they come back to you and they've had no responsibility for winning in AAU games. The only questions they ask their coach are, you know, what time's the game tomorrow and where are we eating at tonight? And how am I getting mine? That's correct. So you, you're they're bringing you're bringing this this uneducated basketball player back to your high school program, and the first thing you must do is teach them how to count. And so we show coaches how to interject that in the drills. And so, you know, that's so scoring runs are are direct reflection of a team's ability to count. When you see good teams play, when they're on a 5-0 run, 6-1 run, all right, the worst field goal percentage shooter does not take the next shot. 
unless it's a layup. Uh-huh. Right? So inside of that's why I always said if you're if you're talking nylon calculus, Kim Palm, four factors, they don't give you any drill scenario that changes your your journey. Right? Analytics for coaches is for coaches. It's not for front office. The coaches need to understand what they're up against, acknowledge it, and then make the corrective actions to change their own destiny. Mm-hmm. Like I tell coaches, so not only do you take our classes, but I have office hours at two hours every day. So even when you take the class, you can call in on my office hours and go through your individual so I can answer the questions. Yeah. Right. I don't put you in a class and then leave you out there by yourself on your journey. All right. You can either text us questions as you go along, or you can get on the phone in my group sessions for two hours uh, and hear what other people are struggling with to understand. Yeah. But it, I like that. But it, it, but it really boils down to you have co- your constant empirical number. You win the first and third quarter, stopping and generating scoring runs. And number four is you must over-communicate and transition and get back. Mm-hmm. Doing those four simple math things, the way we started this whole thing, can make a difference in, in getting more wins. It's, in my opinion, it's it, this is like a blanket you can put over all other analytics. The other analytics models, as I stated earlier, I believe that they are factually correct but they don't work in an environment of a constant number because those teams that lose are never told how to get on the winning side. Uh So, so when I go in and do a presentation to an NBA team, a college coach, I can go in and show them here is what your journey needs to look like. And I've done it. I've done it twice. I did it as a high school coach went from, Former NBA player, 90 days later, I'm head high school coach. Two years later, I'm Ohio high school coach of the year because of what we did. Yeah, I think, I think, Butch, this approach just is kind of eye opening for me a little bit, you know, as I'm embarking on this journey to, you know, talk to anybody and everybody in every sport about analytics. And I think you're, you're bringing it back home to, the point where you have to start here at what wins games and then you can you can weave in all the the other data and the analytics that you know that's used for player development and you know if you want to have some other stuff from the stats guys but it's got to be in the context of these that I think it, I think it, it provides a nice framework for coaches yeah it's it's basically I found a way to take all this data that Mike Ellis and I had put together. Um, you know, let me give you that. One of my models, I basically just put in every NBA player uh, and what he did on a per minute basis in eight categories. All right. And then I chopped off. I looked at the constant empirical number and I, I dropped every player off the list that was on a losing team. If they were on a losing team, and then I then I said, okay, let's go in and refine the top half and give me the guys who have played 85% of the games the last four seasons. Because at the highest level, 
you cannot win games if your best players aren't available. You guys are dealing with that in Philadelphia with Joel Embiid. Yep. Mm-hmm. No matter how good or how great you think your talent is, if it's not available, all right, you are going to get crushed. Yeah. Because it, it kills your winning culture when the players don't know that player is going to be available. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so for me, the right way to teach coaches is as I as I told uh, Rory Sparrow, my goal is to find out if this player can learn the software. Historically, the NBA has put a label on the former players that they couldn't. I've proven in the last five years that they can learn fast draw, fast scout. They can learn synergy, and they can learn sports code. And any other software, um, we we grew the program, the NBA assistant coaches program, from a four-month program, and the NBA let me take it offline. Um, and now it's 10 months. Mm-hmm. So the, the coursework that anyone who signs up for analyticsforcoaches.com, they're doing coursework that's similar to what I'm teaching guys who are training to be NBA assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Sign right, me up. So, so, <laughs> so they can say they can say it's you know they say it's predictive analytics, but the issue is that again, if you understand the path to winning historically then that's the marker you need to generate within your own group or a pathway to it. Mm-hmm. But right now, analytics is being used in the NBA by most teams, all right, to run the team. And in my days, the guys who were coaching the team could actually think their way through a game. And I've seen that in the growth of the Toronto Raptors from a coaching standpoint. Nick Nurse has a lot of high school coaching. He'll play a zone, a half-court trap. Uh-huh. Um, all the stuff that I've seen uh, really good high school coaches do, where if they're on the defensive side of a timeout, they'll do something to ch- change their defense up so you can't come out and run what you think you're going to run. And young high school coaches have a great opportunity through analytics for coaches to get a dose of for $70. Like this is how I organize myself. Yeah. All right. In a manner that gives me the best chance to have a career. That's great. And, and that's, that's what I, you know, I, I want to thank you for giving me a chance to come and, and share with you, you know, what I've done, but analytics for coaches, we've won at every level that we've been at. It is not a hard system. It doesn't require. Most high school coaches have not had a math class past ninth or 10th grade. So if you take a whole career field of candidates and then you want to give them, you know, a predictive analytics, there's no way they can follow you. It's the learning curves kind of really steep, can be steep. Yeah. It's almost impo- It's almost impossible because – the reality of, even if you had a coach that could understand it, and I was very fortunate because I, I graduated from Indiana University School of Business, you know, took the finance classes, the calculus classes, um, statistics class, you, you still have to find a good way to dummy it down to your group. Yeah. 
you know, coaches are saying, well, you know, the kid may be AD, ADD or ADHD. Okay, either one he is, all right? He can be a really good basketball player if you do the corrective actions and show him what level he must compete at. So it comes back to that. How do you, how do you best uh, get that information to the player? And every player is going to receive that information in a different way. It's what we found is that giving it to them this way, they understood it. All right. And then we rolled this information into our player development. So our player development became, became more productive. All right. You know, our, our player development, you know, uh, Vince Carter, future Hall of Famer, Tracy McGrady in the Hall of Fame. Neither one of them uh, could score with their left hand. Did Vince um, retire yet? Is he still playing? Yeah, he's done. He's done. Yeah, he's, that's it. He, he's done. His daughter, his oldest daughter is in high school. She was a oh. freshman this year. And yeah. so I think he's uh, he's happily retired. Hopefully yeah. his body holds up. But, well, Butch, man, the good stuff. I mean, I, I, I want to thank you for uh, – coming on and taking a deep dive into kind of how you simplified this a little bit. So that could be, I think really useful for, for coaches at all levels. And that's like I mentioned before, you know, I, as we move forward, I mean, we go back, you know, it was uh, DVDs, uh, you know, looking at DVDs to do film study. And, and now all this technology is becoming available you know, for other folks and whether they have the, the money to afford it or not or the resources. But you've put together something that's really useful, simple to use, and I like to call it a good framework to start from to, at the end of the day, win basketball games. Um, so uh, how can uh, my listeners find out about, um, you know, participating in, in the coursework that you have offered uh, maybe give a little bit of background of how someone can get in contact with, with you and uh, maybe get some of those courses. Okay. Well, um, our website is analyticsforcoaches.com. And um, my direct email is coach at analyticsforcoaches.com. That's not real hard. Yeah. Um, and that's and the I number four. Yeah. That's correct. So, um the reality is that it will. Uh, we're in beta mode on the uh, website, uh-huh. um, but you can reach me. Uh, you can register for the classes. You can ask any questions before. But we basically said when we were setting this up, let's make the offering for high school coaches so overwhelmingly. Uh, we give them four products. We show them how to do a dynamic calendar, an annual calendar, and what time of the year and what they should be studying. Uh, we give them timeout solutions. Uh, which covers timeout solutions and scoring runs. Um, and we show them what to request back from Huddle in a manner in which they can digest it so they're not overwhelmed. Um, mm-hmm. the, the problem with Huddle is it's a data dump. And Huddle has done an outstanding job of integrating itself in, into high schools across the board, especially with their cameras. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we are friendly to both women's coaches, girls' coaches. Uh, we have no problem with them learning uh, what we're teaching. It's very appropriate for anyone of any gender uh, who calls himself a coach to to take the opportunity to enroll in one of our classes. Um, it's we're at, Right now, we have a great $20 trial offer 
Um, they can try it out for $20 for 10 days. Uh, if they like it, they'll have two more two payments over over a 60-day window. Um, if they don't like it, they can cancel. But um, I believe that I believe that it's it's a dynamic opportunity for young people. Um, some older guys won't want to change. Even if I was an older coach, I would definitely uh, take the timeout solutions opportunity and running score because those things don't change in basketball. Um, but this is a, this is a a methodology that again. I have 15 people in my model. Uh, if you check any other model, they don't have 15. But all of us coaches know when you sit down, right, you know those three zebras are going to walk out there. And if you're a good coach, you know that assistant on the other end has, has stayed up all night trying to get all your plays, and he's going to give those plays to the head coach during the game. So, yeah. again, I want to I want to thank you for, for allowing us this time. And we'd like to come back and in the future. And if we could, I'd even like to uh, to put on a clinic uh, for your show um, so that we can get uh, your audience to call in and, and have a direct chance to ask those those questions and how oh, to advance. Them. Yeah. Right. So those are the kind of things that that we enjoy doing. Um, but thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I appreciate it. My goodness, really good stuff uh, in uh, doing this podcasting thing. Uh, <laughs> that's some really good stuff uh, that you shared today. And um, I'll put the uh, how people can reach you and uh, the website in my show notes. I do a little summary in there. I'll put that in the show notes and the link to the show. And I want to thank you for taking the time and uh, out of your day and telling us all about what you're doing, the good stuff you're doing. and. Uh, want to thank you for uh, coming on the show and uh, hopefully we can get basketball back, back on the court soon. I'm missing it terribly. Yeah, we're all missing it. We're all missing it terribly. Uh, but again, we thought it was a great opportunity right now while coaches are sitting around and uh, protecting their families that um, we give them this information at a time in which they have a chance to consume it. It is so, a perfect uh, time. I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, when we come out of this darn thing, uh, you know, there's really going to be, uh, I don't know, who knows what the new normal is. It'll be America 2.0, whatever you're going to call it. But for coaches, basketball coaches, how about you 2.0? Now's the time to do this stuff. So, uh, uh, again, thanks a lot for coming on the show and uh, stay safe and well. Thank you very much and keep your family safe, please. Thank you. And that's a wrap for the show. But before we go, let me summarize some of the value bombs that Coach Carter talked about in the show. Coach Carter and Mike Ellis created an analytics model for winning basketball games based on a constant empirical number. Half games are won, half games are lost. The model breaks down winning basketball games into a framework of four key analytics. Number one, win the first and third quarters of games. In today's NBA, teams that win the first and third quarter win 80% of regular season games and 85% of playoff games. Number two, stop scoring runs or create a scoring run. Number three, get back on defense and match up or the officials will let you lose the game. Officials are a key component of the model and must be factored in. And it's very important 
to have excellent after timeout execution on both offense and defense. Use these four key analytics as a framework to guide what information you pull out of your analytics software, huddle, synergy, etc., and then use that information to guide your practice plans. Put that all together and you will win more basketball games. You can find show notes, summaries, and resources mentioned on the show at my website, terrylfrederick.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y-L-F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K.com. Please subscribe to my show. I'm in all the directories. A rating or comment helps me make the show better. Thanks for listening.